Next up on Saturday mornings at your service, it's Welcome to Health. Greatest Grains and the Welcome to Health Center bring you Dr. Kurt Rexroth, chiropractor and clinical nutritionist. Dr. Rexroth is here to answer your questions about chiropractic, nutrition, or healthy weight loss. So give Dr. Rexroth a call at 344-1420, or you can find him online at welcometohealth.com. And now here's Dr. Kurt Rexroth. Morning, Quad Cities. I tell you, we got a great day planned for you today. A couple things, just the announcements, first of all. Um, we've got our normal, of course, I say normal, it's actually fantastic seminar on weight loss um, on Tuesday evenings at 6.30. You can call our office at 309-764-2115 for more information on it. Um, and that number will be given at the end of the program also. Now, dementia is a serious subject, and I know that a lot of you have relatives that are involved in that right now, and it's a tragic thing. To, it's almost, um, you know, it's a, a slow death, and it's a, it's a, a extremely painful for families, et cetera, you know, and, and, you know, we sympathize with all that. But what we want to say is that there are things that we, we can do about it. Um, in the medical world, they're always looking for the next drug, you know, that can overcome the amyloid plaques and things like this. Uh, but the question is, what is it that triggers the production of amyloid plaques? What is it that actually brings on this debilitating condition of the brain? And there are things that can be done, um, things that can be done for early dementia in terms of uh, kind of energizing the brain. Um, there's a lot of theories out there, and many of them. Uh, it's like most theories, to tell you the truth. Uh, with a certain part of the population, this theory works really well. With another part of the population, this other theory works well. And combing through those different theories is an important thing for us to do. So, you know, don't neglect something just because it's a theory. It may actually nail the particular thing that is bothering your relative or actually is starting to uh, influence you in some cases. I know that, um, I'm telling you, you know, I, uh, many of you know and have heard the radio show many times, and I grew up dyslexic, had a terrible time figuring out how to read, just didn't get through, right? Uh, and I know that in that, that case, that dementia usually is something that attacks people with those kinds of conditions early. So what I've done pretty much all my life, uh, not that I was afraid of Alzheimer's or dementia when I was younger, but I've always been involved with what is it that can make my brain sharper? What is it that can improve my ability to read? What is it that can make me faster? I love the piano. I love playing the piano. And most of the time I memorize the piece. I let my hands do all the work and let them memorize the piece. But I'm always involved in trying to figure out exactly how I can make it so that I can read music more efficiently. And I've come up with many, many different things, you know, and I've mentioned it on the radio show here. Ping pong is a big one. Eye tracking. That's part of the problem. Eye tracking. I've got to get those eyes moving across the page in a steady way, etc., across the music or whatever. And um, these kinds of things are very important. And this is an announcement I'm going to try to remember to repeat every week because this is just so vital. And it does relate, by the way, to the dementia uh, situation also. And that is the current opioid crisis. Because opium has been 
forms of opium. They, of course, they're not called opium. They're called like OxyContin, OxyCodone, lots of different uh, names for it. Check check uh, your own drug, your pain medication, to find out whether it's an opioid um, because there are about one in five people now in the United States are, started, are getting opioid drugs during their lifetime, and many of them are hopelessly addicted to it at this point. And this is something that is just absolutely tragic. Now, you know, when I was a kid, we were warned incessantly about uh, heroin addiction. And heroin, of course, is one of the forms of opium. It's a street form of opium. But it's no more or more, no less addictive than the prescription opium is. But we've been, we were warned over and over again about opium addiction. In fact, they had uh, programs. I remember a Perry Mason program where um, there was a person who was addicted to uh, heroin and they showed him in remission or in, in um, uh, withdrawal. And it was absolutely awful. And they characterized it. It was a black and white program at that point. And it was absolutely awful the way they characterized it. And it left a deep impression in my mind that that's something that I never want to mess with, ever, ever. And uh, it's true. It's, it can be awful. But, you know, the question is, why is opium prescribed in the first place? Why are these opioid drugs that cause so many side effects? I mean, um, people out there, they, they come, people come into our clinic that are addicted to opium, the, to the um, opioid drugs, and that's not their only problem, believe me. They're on several medications just to handle the side effects of the opioid drugs. So when they come in, I'm, I'm like, okay, well, obviously you want to get off of this, and you know, we will definitely recruit the help of your medical physician to do that. But um, what, why did you get on the drug in the first place? And almost always, it's because of pain. And when I go and ask them about the pain, it's not just always something that just came up. It's not something that is a new pain that, well, you know, last week I, oh, I lifted something and I, and I strained my back. Or even, it's kind of more common, I was just in the bathroom and I lifted my toothbrush and the pain hit me and I hit the floor. I didn't think the toothbrush was that heavy, right? Well, those kinds of things happen. You know, many of you have had those experiences. Of course, you know, just as an aside, it wasn't lifting the toothbrush. It was what you did when you cleaned the garage two days before that set it up and then the inflammation arose and then the toothbrush was the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay, so in any case, so just to clear that up. But the point is this, that... Most of these people didn't just have an acute outbreak of pain. Most of them had been suffering with pain for years, sometimes decades. And it finally got so bad that they were just desperate and they went to their doctor and said, oh, my gosh. Or then their doctor sent them to a pain clinic and they said, oh, this has been dogging me for this many years and it's getting worse. And I'm just at my wit's end. And whether it's acute pain momentary right now pain or chronic pain for, for decades, it's something that needs to be taken care of. But the problem is this, that instead of making recommendations to improve the person's biological function and get to the cause of the pain, the medical profession generally treats pain as the condition. Pain as a condition. That means it's not dysfunction in your spine or muscle problems or this or that or the fact that you don't get enough sleep and you have high cortisol all the time or that you, uh, you know, don't have enough LDL cholesterol to produce the 
cortisol in the first place to, to reduce inflammation in your body or you aren't, it's not that you're low on B vitamins or that your spinal function is just shot because the joints are all swollen and inflamed for so long and that has affected your nerves and the nerves are spasming muscles and causing pain. It's none of that stuff. The problem is the pain. So they treat pain as a condition. You go to a pain clinic, right? And what does that mean? That means they're not even looking, for the most part, for what is causing the pain or why the body thinks it needs pain. Because in my clinic, the first thing we ask is this. We don't ask for, well, what medication can diminish the pain? For us, that's a stupid question. What medication can diminish the pain? The body has the pain there for good reasons, Okay, and you can always trust the body in that respect. If there's a symptom, the symptom is there for very good reasons. It doesn't want to bother you. I mean, for example, if you're, you know, we'll we'll take you back to the primitive days. You know, you're hunting mammoth, right? And you do something to avoid the foot of the mammoth crushing you and you strain your back in the middle of that. You know what? The body's not going to bother you with pain at that point. (laughs) You're not going to be thinking about pain at all, right? It's like breaking your finger in the middle of a high school football game. You keep playing. Why? Because the body doesn't bother you with pain when it's in a situation like that. You just keep going or you keep rolling away from the mammoth or, you know, whatever, right? Because pain is something that comes later because it says, hey, you've been injured. We got you out of that situation. Let's solve the problem now. Okay? So what happens? The inflammation increases. And what is inflammation? Inflammation is the healing process. Without inflammation, there is no healing. The steps of inflammation are, of course, tissue degradation, tissue regeneration. First of all, you've got the macrophages. Those are the translation of macrophage is big eater. And the macrophages come in, and what they do is they clean up the site. They they eat the damaged tissue, they, di- they, they digest it or they dump it into the limb system, and they eat that stuff away. And while they're doing that, by the way, they're squirting digestive chemicals on the tissue that needs to be removed. And some of that strong chemical hits the nerve. And what does the nerve do? It goes, ow! It's painful, right? Now, okay, what's your alternative? Well, you can calm those macrophages down. In fact, you can even keep them from coming to the damaged site by doing what? Interrupting the signals that call them to the damaged site. They're called, um, they're called um, COX-1 and COX-2, coxygenase 1 and coxygenase 2. And if you block them, and it's by the, by the way easy to get blockers in this case because what happens is you just go down to your drugstore and you can get Tylenol, you can get um, ibuprofen, you can get um, you know, Advil, you can get all these different things. You can even get Celebrex, that's a COX-2 inhibitor. And you can get all these different drugs that interrupt the signal that says, ah, uh, nothing to see here. You know, you thought you were damaged, but let's just put the blindfolds on. Nothing to see here. You're not really hurt. Don't bring those ouch chemicals or don't bring those macrophages here because they squirt chemicals on nerves and the nerve reacts with pain. So, you know, uh, we don't want the pain. But you have to realize at the same time you say we don't want the pain, 
you're also saying, we don't want the healing. And let that sink in a little bit. Because the pay, if you are having the healing, you're going to have the pain. Because that first step in inflammation is clean things up. Otherwise, you're like, you know, if you were refinishing a piece of furniture, you say, ah, shoot, don't sand it down to the wood, you know, forget that. Just put the, the stain over the old stain. Oh, yeah, it'll bunch up here. It'll cause all kinds of ugly uh, darkening of certain parts and stuff. It won't be even. But, you know, don't worry about it. You know, sandpaper, no. And that's what happens when you say, you know, when you block the influx of the first stage of inflammation when you say to the macrophages, the big eaters, uh, nothing, nothing to see here. Okay. Now, the second stage, of course, is tissue, tissue regeneration. And that, I don't believe, is the real painful stage, although some, some of the swelling and things and the inflammation can still be around. And, you know, so it, it kind of goes in the... But that's where the stem cells actually replace the tissue, the old damaged tissue, and you get new tissue. By the way, that requires that you're kind of using the part in the same way you did when... Well, not the same way you did when you hurt it, but that you're using it in a normal way. For example, if you want a muscle to heal with muscle tissue rather than scar tissue, you've got to be using the muscle, right? If you want joint tissue to heal with the um, proper tissue, you've got to be moving. If you want bone, by the way, to heal with proper, um, proper shape even, you've got to kind of be moving a little bit after it starts healing adequately enough, you understand, because a cast may be required for a while, but you don't want to keep the cast on forever. Otherwise, all the joints that the cast immobilizes will actually deteriorate. It takes about six hours of total immobilization of a joint for the cartilage to begin to die. So we don't want that to happen, all right? So all of that stuff is involved, but how does this relate to opium is the question. Well, opium is one of the ways to kill that pain, to, to bring down the pain so that, you know, you don't feel it, that it doesn't bother you as much. And if you've got a chronic condition, it's very tempting to do the opioid drugs because they do help with that pain. However... And here's the thing you need to know. The reason that opium and heroin are so dangerous is that you have to keep taking more and more and more in order for it to work. Why? Because the way it works is it stimulates what is known. Uh, Candace Pert, a, a great physiologist, discovered this because she was <laughs> taking opium pain medication for, for a, a problem. Uh, and she is extremely acute scientific mind, and so she figured this out while she was on the medic medication. Um, but the way that opium works is it stimulates an opium receptor. And the opium, by the way, it, it's normally stimulated by endorphins, our own endogenous opioid, but, it's, but it stimulates an opium receptor, and that receptor then creates the effect of a little bit of euphoria, a little bit of self-satisfaction, and you feel good because endorphins make you feel good about your successes. And so it stimulates that, and so you feel kind of good. Even though you might still feel the pain some, 
it's like feels like there's a reason for it. It's not just useless pain. And that, by the way, it's like the football player, you know, who broke his finger in the football game. He keeps playing because there is purpose behind it. You feel, you know, like there's, there's a reason to keep playing. There's a reason to kind of uh, transcend the pain and keep going. Well, the opium gives you that kind of a feeling, and therefore the pain just doesn't bother you as much. Okay? But after a week... The pain comes back, just like it did before you start taking the opium. And so you have to take more. Then you get the same kind of euphoria and this this feeling that there's purpose to it, etc. And then after a week, the number of receptors, and see, this is how it works. The number of receptors that receive the opium signal are reduced. You may have 20,000 of them on a cell membrane, and after taking it for a week— you may only have 15,000. So you have to take more and then 10,000. You have to take more and then 5,000. And then you have to take more and then finally you run out of receptors. And so now you go crazy with the opium and you overdose. And how many people have done that? You know, the pain of, of life and everything. And, and by the way, also, you're running out of money and the reason you want to take the op- opium now is more as an emotional <laughs> crutch as than it is for the pain, and it just it just snowballs. It's like that little snowball that you get rolling down the hill that's about a foot across, and it gets rolling down the hill, but by the time it gets halfway down the hill, you better not get in front of it because it's an avalanche, and it'll knock you silly. So you do not want to do that. Okay, now, so that's opium. Now, the question is, why would you continue doing that knowing this kind of stuff? Well, it's like any other addiction. Addictions have the power of the snowball effect. They are just, they become irresistible, and you can, you can track it. Sugar, how many of you can get yourselves off sugar? Oh, my God, it's incredible. How about, how about smoking cigarettes? Incredible. The number of people who actually stop smoking at a reasonable time before they're diagnosed with heart disease and lung disease and, and um, you know, COPD and all this stuff is small. Why? Because it's like a snowball. And getting hit by that snowball when you try to stop is not pleasant. Okay? Now, so let's look, about, look at a uh, solution. What's the first sensible solution to an opioid addiction? What's the very first thing? Well, you might want to ask the question, why did I start this in the first place? Makes sense. Why did I start this in the first place? Well, why did you? Pain, right? I had pain. (laughs) So it might be sensible to ask the question, and this is the kind of question we ask in our clinic, and that is this. What good reason did the body have for giving you pain? What was the function of the pain? What What was it trying to tell you? What was its purpose? And that question gets you to a whole different set of realizations. It gets you to a whole different diagnosis. It's not any longer a diagnosis of pain. Pain is just a side effect of something that's much deeper. And in chiropractic, we've always asked the question this way. What is the body trying to do What good thing is the body trying to do by giving you high blood pressure? 
What good thing is the body trying to do by giving you an immune response? What good thing is the body trying to do by giving you inflammation? What good thing? Because when it comes to trusting the body, that's what chiropractic is all about. Chiropractors don't claim to even be the healer in the patient-doctor relationship. They claim to be the healer-helper, right? You're the healer. You come into my office. I'm just there, and I try to figure out what your body, what good thing the body is trying to do for you by giving you that pain. And when I can find that out, and usually when I'm you know, functioning as a chiropractor, I'm looking first at joints. I'm looking at nerves. I'm looking at muscle patterns that follow the nerve patterns. I'm looking at all these things. And I would wager, in fact, I know this because of the statistics, that most of the people out there that are on, on opioids are on opioids because of spinal problems. Their spine is not functioning properly. I mean, they got a pain that goes down their leg, you know, sciatic pain. What is that? Well, the Sciatic nerve originates in the brain. I mean, it's not called the sciatic nerve there. And there are several synapses of other nerves on the way down. But ultimately, that pain only gets to your brain and gives you pain if it reaches your brain through nerves. And where does it have to go to do that? It has to go through the spinal column. Right? And then you get the pain, that toothache, gnawing, relentless pain down the leg, tough to sleep. Then when you lose the sleep, other things start happening, etc. And of course, you know, taking a pain medication can be kind of a relief. But what happens? You take the -the over-the-counter stuff that increases your risk of heart attack and gastrointestinal leakage. If you leak stuff into your, from your gut into your bloodstream, that increases your whole systemic inflammation. Namely, your immune system has to respond to all the junk that's leaking from your gut into your bloodstream. That can cause a whole host of other problems. Why? Because you've interrupted the inflammatory process in the gut that replaces gut cells all the time. Okay? You don't want that. What you want is you want to go directly to the misfunction, the dysfunction, directly to the spine where that sciatic nerve comes out and goes down the leg. And most often, chiropractors, and it's a welcome to health center. I mean, you know, if you have your own chiropractor, make sure they're doing their job, you know, and getting you over this stuff. If you don't have a chiropractor, please call the Welcome to Health Center because we love new patients. We love problems like this. We deal with them absolutely every day of the week, okay? Um, I had two pretty severe sciatic cases just this week. And, you know, we're getting, we're working the the, um, spine, we're getting it working properly, and we're getting these people over these problems. So definitely call the practice, you know. I'll tell you. Don't let yourself continue on the opioids. Deal with the pain issue and then have your doctor help you get off of those. those. Um, it's very, very important to have your doctor's help because this is a dangerous thing to back off and get off the opioids. But definitely deal with the pain issue. And a great place to start in like 80% of the cases is with chiropractic care. And a lot of them, a lot of the other cases, you do better with chiropractic care too, with nutritional counseling and with getting your nutritional and dietary and activity life going. You can very often deal with most, you know, 90% of the opioid issues. 
but definitely go to the source rather than just covering the symptoms. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Welcome to Health with Dr. Kurt Rexroth, part of Saturday Mornings at Your Service, sponsored by the Welcome to Health Center and Greatest Grains. Dr. Rexroth will be back next week at the same time. If you have a question before then, give the good doctor a call at 309-764-2115 or find him online at welcometohealth.com where you can download podcasts of this program, ask questions on the blog, find out about special events, and request an appointment with Dr. Rexroth. And remember, Dr. Rexroth donates his services as a guest speaker to Quad Cities clubs, church groups, and business organizations.